Hello, and welcome to Oracle Conversations with me, your host, Jay Howard. Today, I'm speaking with Azaria Hogans, Assistant Professor of Dance in the Department of Theater and Dance. Azaria is a dancer, choreographer, dance scholar, and board member for a digital dance company. In our conversation, we talk about some of the events coming up in the department, including the Spring Dance Concert, which takes place in early May. Tickets and season passes are available. Just visit theaterandance.missourystate.edu. We talk about how dance classes have adapted to the challenge of COVID, and we talk about the variety of dance classes. There are classes for all skill levels, from entry level to advanced. One of the classes that Azaria teaches is called Introduction to the Dance. Students from all over the university take this class, and one of their assignments is to connect their major, whatever that may be, to dance. Students make all kinds of creative connections, and um, so we talk about some of those. Azaria is the manager of resources and archives for No Box Dance, which is a digital dance company. By the way, that's No Box with no spelled K-N-O-W. She's also a co-host of No Box Dance's podcast, Dance Behind the Screen. We talk about some of the initiatives and projects that NoBox undertakes, and we also discuss archives in the context of dance, their importance, and issues of access and gatekeeping. After discussing dance concepts and how to interpret what's happening on stage beyond the surface level, Azaria encourages all of us to attend a dance in person. So I ask her about recommended venues, and we talk about campus, local, and regional venues, as well as online. Missouri State Bears have access to a database that's available through the library website called On the Boards. I looked it up, and it is amazing. Let me read the opening paragraph here. Ontheboards.tv is a first-of-its-kind portal for viewing full-length, high-quality performance films on your TV, desktop, or laptop. It functions as a streaming subscription service and an archive for groundbreaking artistic projects and contemporary performances. And uh, again, you can view those performances on the library website using your Bear Pass. The way I found it was to click on the subject guides, which is down by the articles and databases, We have tons of great subject guides, and one of them is dance, and the first link there is on the boards. All right, without further ado, let's go now to my conversation with Azaria Hogans. So I was listening to some episodes of Dance Behind the Screen, and I saw that one of the episodes um, a long time ago was with one of my colleagues in COM, Dr. Chris Collins. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of your co-hosts asked him um, a question that I really like the wording of. So I'm just going to borrow it um, yeah. and you can use it today. Um, how would you describe your career and what got you on the track you're on today? Hmm. So overall, I describe myself as a dancer. And I think that word for me encompasses many, many things. Um, I've been dancing since I was five. Um, but I didn't always know that that was a clear trajectory of what I would end up doing. Uh, teaching has always been a through line. I knew I was going to be a teacher. I thought I was going to be a middle grades education teacher. 
And then when I got to college, all of those things started to intermingle. And I realized that teaching like general education wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to teach. And slowly, slowly, one of my professors had recommended grad school to me. And I was like, I don't know about that. Um, but I ended up going. And that's really where uh, my dance career and my teaching career started to come into alignment. Um, but I do describe myself as a dancer, choreographer, um, emerging dance scholar. I dabble in film work. I am a board member for a digital dance company. So as many things as dance tends to reach, I like to try to dabble in a lot of those. Very cool. There are many different styles of dance. From looking at the website, I see that you teach many of them. I do. Do you have a favorite style? That's a hard question. I do. I'm definitely partial to the contemporary dance forms, uh, modern dance. My favorite class to teach is contact improvisation, which I haven't been able to do for a couple of years due to COVID. Um, but I'm definitely a contemporary uh, modern dancer at heart. Wonderful. I'd love to dive into the details of a few of those classes mm -hmm. um, from someone who's, um, you know, outside of the department and is curious about what those, what those might entail. So you mentioned contact improvisation. What does that yes. class look like? So the best way I like to explain it to people is improvisation. Usually everybody's familiar with that word, kind of coming up with things on the spot, moving, taking prompts to create. Um, we can think of that when we think of theater or somebody's doing a sketch show and they're quick bouncing off each other. So that same concept with dance, except with two or more bodies. Hmm. So think of moving with someone else and having to read their um, weight, um, the shifting, uh, you might be off the floor completely. So it's still impromptu, but you're having to deeply relate to someone else, usually through weight sharing. Um, so that can look like a duet. It can look like a large group of people. At the early beginnings of contact improvisation, it was founded by Steve Paxton, contact improvisation itself. And he was very into martial arts. So there are definitely some martial arts influences when it comes to like how bodies can move together and playing with kind of pivot points and uh, sliding and perching and things like that. Wow. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. It is. Um, it also sounds really challenging. <laughs> In COVID, it is. <laughs> added layer of difficulty. <laughs> I know a lot of the arts and letters have um, this feature of being embodied uh, the, where mm -hmm. the work is fundamentally embodied and dancers mm -hmm. certainly is the foremost. And so how have you adapted to COVID in these past years? Uh, I, I teach public speaking and communication classes, and um, it's possible to deliver a speech on video. It's not the same as being in person. Um, and so I'm curious how we've adapted in different departments. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a challenge, I think, for our entire department, but luckily being a group of extremely creative people, I think challenges always present new ways to think and go about things. Um, so I think it has presented some really exciting things. I mean, nobody prefers to work in this climate, but um, one way that the dance area particularly 
kind of overcame the COVID challenge is last spring, we have a dance concert every spring that's usually faculty led and we weren't doing any uh, onstage performances where we're having audiences coming to the theater at that point. So instead I was a coordinator for that particular concert and I happened to be teaching dance film and had taught that class a couple of times. So we decided to do a dance film um, concert and with my work with uh, No Box Dance, which is a digital dance company, we have a film festival. So we kind of made a mini film festival style where faculty work and student work was adjudicated for the concert. And mm. so we took the collection of works that were made and we ended up projecting them on the side of Craig Hall. And then we had our audience outdoors so that it could be in COVID compliance with the university. So that was one way that we overcame. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Is there a spring dance concert coming up this year? Yes, there is. It is going to be May 5th through 8th. Very nice. So May 5th through the 8th spring dance concert. Yes. Any word on the format this year? Uh, we should be in the theater on stage with audiences back um, inside. We'll just have to kind of keep an eye out with COVID compliances when it comes to capacity and stuff as we get to that time frame. We also have a musical, a course line happening. I think that's in April. And we have several other theater productions happening this semester as well. Okay. So prolific output in the Department of Theater and Dance this semester. Yes, every semester. So every semester. Just, you can get a season pass. Just check out our website on the Missouri State uh, website, and you can see our season um, for each academic year. And we definitely have very intense lineups each year. You mentioned the theater, um, and I, I've, I've, of course, been in there working in Craig, and I've attended the Spring Dance Concert before, especially when my some of my students uh, were in it. Oh, awesome. Um, and so I love being in there. It's just, it, it's a different feel than anywhere else on campus. Mm -hmm. um, but are you excited about the opening of the amphitheater? Um, I'm extremely excited about it. I keep looking over there to see how far they've come. So hopefully we'll have lots of opportunities um, besides tent theater to kind of perform on that stage. Well, cool. It looks like a really awesome space that's going to be built. Yeah, big and, um, you know, multi-use. Multi-use, open kind of outdoor format. I think the possibilities are going to be endless. So I'm excited to play. So we talked about a couple of these classes. You mentioned general education uh, briefly. And I noticed one of the classes listed is introduction to the dance. Mm -hmm. Do you, is that on your teaching repertoire? Yes, I, I'm not teaching it this semester, but I've taught it almost every semester since I've been here. Okay. I think there's only one or two semesters that I haven't taught it. So um, since COVID, I've been teaching it online, which I actually love teaching in that format. Um, I think that uh, there's pros and cons to online, obviously. There's some things that I could do in person that I can't, but that is another class that I, I have really learned to enjoy, um, especially since there's a lot of students who are taking it because they think it's going to be an easy A or, you know, like, oh, okay, that's going to be an easy class. I'll just get over it. And then they're either like amazed by what they've learned or things that they like had no clue 
existed and how dance is so interconnected to culture. I love those aha moments. And one of the projects that I've been having them do since teaching online is they have to connect their major to dance, which at the beginning they think is an impossible task unless they're like one of the dancers or some type of arts related. And then realizing by the end of the semester, like how many ways that these things can interfold. I think that's the most satisfying part of that class for me. Wow, that sounds like a, a wonderful assignment. It, it seems like a, a unique type of class in the department since so many of the dance classes are, they, they assume that students have pr- some previous dance knowledge, but this one based on the, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but this one based on the course description, it says it takes um, a look at dance from the audience's point of view. Is that, is that correct or is, would you characterize it a different way? Yes, I think for the most part, um, one of the purposes is trying to get students to learn how to read dance is one of the ways that it's kind of described in some of the articles that I use. A lot of times when people see dance, especially if they're not dancers themselves, they're either confused or they're like, I don't get it. If it's not some clear storyline where people are acting out, they're like, I don't know what's happening. So there are definitely some skills given with how do we look at dance besides mm. like, oh, that was pretty or like, I liked it. I didn't like it. That's the usually the surface level that not trained people come to dance with. So like, how can we look at like the movement? How can we look at different elements, the the quality, the dynamics, who's on stage, who's not on stage, um, what are the costuming, what's the lighting, the coloring, and the situation doing, um, besides narrative, how are like the shapes, and what could be, what else could be being discovered, or um, explored through these dances, besides maybe our surface level of like, I see a narrative, so now it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I also love that there's the the article adjective the in the name of the general education class. So dramatic. Introduction to the dance. I know. <laughs> it reminds me of that line in, in uh, Walt Whitman where he says, the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. You know, mm. it's like this is the dance of life. The it's dance. like dance is a, a metaphor for life or something, you know. Yes. Yeah. I always have to say it very dramatically whenever I say that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and one thing that you were saying too about um, beginners, we actually do have a lot of classes for beginners. We have fundamental dance classes. So if there are students or faculty, because we all have our credits who never dance a day in their life and you want to dabble in it, we do offer fundamental classes for people with little to no experience so that you can kind of move your way up in the ranks. But there's definitely many entry level points for people who might be curious about dance to kind of get their feet wet. Thank you. That makes sense. There's so many things that are unique to different departments. Do classes tend to be three credit hours um, or do they vary widely? They vary widely. We have um, theory and practice, just probably like every other department. So our theory classes tend to be three, four credit hour classes, depending on which one you're taking. Mm-hmm. Um, technique classes can be three credit hours, depending on which one you're taking. They could be one credit hour classes. Um, we have like somatics. Um, we have dance kines for dancers. So our credit hours range, I think one from 
four. I don't think we have any five credit hour classes, but I could be wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into the theory and practice, um, I wanted to ask one more question on the general education class. Sure. And, and it goes back to the, that assignment that you mentioned. Can you um, share with me any um, representative example that sticks out in terms of uh, unique connections that people have made to their seemingly unrelated to dance major? Yes. Okay. Let me try to think of some of my favorite ones. One of the students, the first one that came, comes to my mind was a music student and was interested in music composition. So he found a video of tap dancing and he composed music to align with the tap dancing so that it was like two musical things happening at the same time. Thought that one was really creative. Absolutely. Um, one that's the ones that you kind of think don't really connect this past semester. I had another student who was it's something in like the computer, not programming. Ah, maybe it'll come back to me later. But they did a investigation on the use of TikTok as a social media platform. He was very interested in that and kind of um, looking at how social media and that platform play with dance. I've had some sports management um, students who looked into either like dance for training athletes or one was very interested in mascots and how to get audience engagement through like creating these dance competitions through mascots as they go up the ranks in the Super Bowl. Uh, lots of medical students, um, they kind of delved in deeply to PT for dancers or how to avoid certain injuries or how to properly warm up with their knowledge of what they're learning in their kines classes. Those are the ones that come to mind off the top of my head. Oh, and I, a couple bylaws from some political uh, poli-sci students were like creating um, bill proposals for getting dance into public schools and things like that. So there's oh, wow. always a connection. Yeah. I could keep going on and on because now they're all popping into my head. One more. Okay, so I have one <laughs> I love this. English student. She's actually English in dance, but she compared... I can't remember the name of the work that she compared, but there was a ballet version and there's the literature. So like my, the example that I gave was like Don Quixote, um, the book, and then the one for the ballet. So she did something like that, but it wasn't that particular work. And I'm slipping my mind of which one, but she did a uh, analysis of the literature versus the dance and the similarities and differences between the literature and the ballet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You're getting me all excited about talking about these projects. <laughs> <laughs> but this is something that, yeah, I mean, um, I feel like any, um, well, the skilled educators are preoccupied with making sure their students recognize that what they're learning is relevant to their life. Mm -hmm. And that, mm -hmm. that really gets buy-in from the student. Because we recognize any self-respecting student wants to know that the things we're learning matter. Right. You know, and so I, I think that's such an important sort of contract to establish. And that's just such a fascinating uh, assignment. So I, I would love it. You mentioned, yeah, thank you. You mentioned TikTok and uh, there's uh, oftentimes dance tutorials uh, on, on social media and even the simplest possible ones. I, I look at them and my mind is just blown. Like, <laughs> there's no, no way I can imitate that series of movements. I know that you're I can rewatch the video over and over, but I would, <laughs> it seems like I would never get it, but maybe, maybe I would with instruction. 
Um, I think so too. And a lot of people neglect body intelligence, right? We focus so much on the mind. And then when it gets to just like moving or like mirroring, it's like you have, like they said, two left feet, right? So it does take practice to kind of um, connect the brain and the body. Because if you don't practice in that way, you think like, oh yeah, I know how to move my right arm. But a lot of times there's a disconnect and you think that you're doing something your body's really not doing. So it does take practice. And once you build those skills and make that connection more often, then it might not seem so daunting to imitate what you're seeing. The kind of um, sort of kinesthetic intelligence mm-hmm. um, that where practice makes perfect. Hmm. Yeah, there's, a, there's certainly a difference between um, theory and practice. In my academic advising uh, role, students often ask me when they have to take a, one of the classes in COM, which is communication research methods, they say, what, what, what could that possibly mean? What, what are research methods in this field? Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm always excited and happy to share with them about it. Um, and I saw that there's a research methods class for dance as well. Yes, I'm um, teaching it this semester. <laughs> oh, great. So what are some of the things that occupy students in that class? Yeah, so this is a fairly new class. I taught it for the first time last spring. So this will be the second time going through. Um, So the class was created to basically help better prepare our BS students. So we have two degrees, a BFA and a Bachelor of Science um, for their senior projects. And their senior projects for that particular degree is a lot more Um, research based and then we were noticing that the students really didn't know how to go about that. I see. So it's kind of a step before to help better prepare them for these senior projects that they would be doing. That's great. And our BS is also a non-comprehensive degree so they have a major in dance and either another major or minor in another field of study. And so also with this class, helping them to bridge the gap, usually between the two, if that's what they're interested in, um, to find those processes. So as far as projects go, the one that comes to mind first from last semester um, was a student who was really interested in social media as a marketing tool for dance, because I think her other degree might have been marketing. So she did a lot of Um, research on how dancers could better advocate for themselves and getting jobs by using um, certain marketing tools for themselves when it comes to social media. So how to use social media to best elevate um, the freelance dancer. Excellent. You mentioned social media there, and um, that uh, brings up brings to my mind the the digital dance company that you had mentioned. Yes. So I'd love to uh, ask you a little bit about No Box Dance um, Mm -hmm. and then the uh, podcast that goes along with it, Dance Behind the Screen podcast. I'll just start at the beginning. Could you please share with me what is No Box Dance? Yes, of course. So No Box Dance is a 501c3 nonprofit's art service organization. We um, create, collaborate, and discuss art with uh, the public. And so we're a digital dance company. Our company is based in the digital world. So we are interested in questions like how does social media have an effect on dance? But our two main programmings that we offer is a podcast, Dance Behind the Screen podcast, 
where we go behind the screens to ask artists in those um, with art related careers or dance related careers about their process and a lot of times how that is interacting with social media. And we also have an international dance film festival, Novox Dance Film Festival, that has a dual premiere in Dallas, Texas and Seoul, Korea, and then goes for an international tour each year. So we just finished up our film festival this past December, and we're gonna be heading into MBFF 2022 um, in February for the next open call. I found some of the trailers to some of the films on uh, your website, and they're extraordinary. Um, also, there's a, uh, a trailer about the overall um, digital dance company on, on the website, mm-hmm. and it also was mind-blowing. Um, oh, it was thanks. condensed down to just a few minutes, but it just covered all the, all the people you've interviewed and um, just the, the imagery of the, the creative imagery of the dance and the design was just yeah. amazing. Thank you. Yeah, we're a very ambitious group of four women who run this company. So um, yeah, we, we are really committed to what we do and really bridging dance with the, I'd say audience or the general public, because I think one thing that we all went to grad school together, I think one thing that we kind of noticed was there's this disconnect sometimes with general audiences and the arts field. So how can we really help to facilitate conversations between artists and the public so that there can be a more support and a more understanding of how Mm. to view um, dance in all of its many forms, especially uh, dance film. Are are your other co-hosts in education as well? Uh, Yes, we all have been at one point. Currently three out of the four of us are still teaching in the university system. We all have taught in the university system, but our fearless president is now doing no box full time so that she can keep that going off the ground for us. Each of the four of you have different roles Mm -hmm. that you mentioned at the uh, beginning. And for yours, you are director of resources. Manager, Manager. of uh, resources and archives, yes. Manager of resources and archives. And I'm, I, I saw the word archive in the sort of uh, mission and purpose of the organization, where it says uh, like the, the vision is to use alternative formats to collaborate and archive. Mm-hmm. Um, could you speak to me a little bit about the importance of archiving and what that looks like? Sure. Um, so one of the aspects of dance and dance film is access a lot of times okay or even just when I'm thinking I tend to be like the history person which is why I'm in resources and archives um but there's so much dance that has been lost over years just Mm -hmm. because um of a lack of archiving either because of technology not being along not having access to it or um certain gatekeepers deciding whose art is most important to capture So the nice thing about dance film is it's already made in this kind of uh, tangible, recorded, saved, can put it be put in a database type of archive process. So yeah, keeping track of that. And then also through tour processes, making sure that people can see these things. Um, And distribution is starting to become a word that's coming up more and more for us as we try to find more and more ways for um, 
the artists who submit through our programs to be seen even more, have facilitate connections for them so that their work can be further seen besides one time. Okay, that's a great point about it being lost. Um, I was just trying to compare it to speeches um, in, you know, rhetoric or oratory delivered in the past. Mm -hmm. I always think about a speech exists one time as it goes out into the air from a vocal cords to, you know, vibrating bones in an ear, but at least with speeches, they can be written down. Right. Um, Dance can be written down too, but yeah. But yeah. So dance, uh, we hear this phrase all the time. Dance is ephemeral, right? You see it, it's gone. Um, And that's, I think, been a challenge for dance compared to some of the other arts where like visual arts, you can sell that piece. It doesn't disappear afterwards. Even music can be recorded. Um, And while dance can still be recorded, it doesn't really work um, in some aspects with the reselling of it, except if we're like really thinking in a commercial sense, like a music video. Um, but yeah, there, there are dance notators, um, where it's not really that useful anymore now that we have the, uh, camera readily available to everyone, especially now being on your phone, but there is dance notation where you can, um, go back and transcribe and read older dances. It is fascinating. For some reason, I'm getting an image of this old, like Looney Tunes cartoon of like, uh, images of feet on the floor with like dotted lines that coming that are like all going around, but I'm assuming that's not at all what you're talking about. No, I mean, there are a lot of dance tutorial books that have like the feet okay. position and the lines, but with dance notation, there's a lot more shapes <laughs> going on and okay. squiggles and half semicircles and colored in things mean one thing. I'm not a dance notation person, so I don't know how to necessarily read it. But yes, it's its own language. If you think of how you might write notes on um, a sheet of music. The shorthand describes not just the placement of one's feet, but bodily actions. Yes. Yes. That is fascinating. So... The thing with, I think, art in general, there has been structures, and even with our film festival, we try to really examine the structure, but technically it's still um, no box team as jurors, and we invite guests, but those are still gatekeepers who are getting to decide, like, I mean, we have a very strict, like, rubric on how we, like, assess these things, and we invite specific people who can offer a wide range, wide range of perspective so that we are not duplicating previous systems that have kind of like the negative connotation of gatekeepers, right? Being like, you are allowed in, you are not allowed in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I mean with the gatekeeping, especially historically, one of my research areas is Afro-diasporic dance. And so that is one like clear example that comes to mind when we think of uh, maybe gatekeepers in the past and what kind of dance has been valued or by who, how it's performed, the people that are being performed. So we can see that when it comes to like funding. So if we have a panel of funders who have a very specific value set and maybe sing ballet, it needs to be classical, it needs to feel traditional, and anything else is maybe not valued in that sphere. Well, they've become gatekeepers 
And if they are gatekeepers of hmm. a significant amount of money, maybe in this sense, they're getting to maybe archive what is being important or give funding. So for the continuation of okay. certain art pieces. So it's a complicated structure. I think that the digital world really shakes up that structure, but we're looking at it as how can we still elevate dance and see some of the really spectacular pieces, but how can we curate that in a way that is equitable, where we are seeing many different perspectives, where we have many different definitions of what is quality work. So what are some of the what are some of the other roles in terms of the way that your team works together on the company and also on the podcast? Yeah, I mean, we do just about everything. <laughs> so I focus mainly as the podcast co-host. So I do help to plan the season, maybe what is the theme for our season, who are the people we're interested in seeing, um, conducting that. Our president and co-president, Martha and Yejin, they're doing more of the overall producing of the show, making sure that the scheduling is going forward. We all kind of share a lot of responsibility and getting like tasks done for the podcast and for the film festival. Similarly, we are jurors. We are um, discussing where it's going to be held, um, hosting locations, ticket sales, Uh, extra vendors, just communication with the artists themselves. Um, Social media is a big uh, part of our company. So having Instagram live chats where the selected artists can come on and discuss their art. And once again, that connection with the public so that they can kind of get a little bit more insight on what's happening in the dance. So yeah, lots of shared responsibility. Well, many hands make light work and it's great to, I'm sure you have a lot of camaraderie on the team. Yes. You mentioned that social media is a big part of the um, company. Mm -hmm. You know, if if listeners want to go find out more about No Box Dance, where would you recommend they do? Yes, you can follow us at No Box Dance. That's K-N-O-W Box Dance. Um, We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube. Uh, our website is www.noboxstance.com. Once again, that's no K-N-O-W, not like N-O. But our, our, our saying is say no to the box. So yes. um, you'll see that the N-O and then the box is capitalized within our name. Um, you can find me at, at Azaria Rianne on Facebook and Instagram. Dance Behind the Screen is streams on all podcast platforms we're on spotify itunes lepson wherever you listen to podcasts you most likely can find us youtube wonderful yeah. well um given that you mentioned the the slogan where does the slogan come from and because um if you if anyone listens to the podcast they will hear a sort of a mechanical voice reminding the listener to say no to the box um what does that refer to yeah so that's a really big open-ended statement where essentially we are saying how do you 
kind of break from the confines of just the confines in general. Like, how do you break confines? So we asked each of our, our our guests who are on how they say no to the bots and that can take form in so many different ways. So it could be saying no to how maybe you're being held back or saying no to limited thinking, saying no to a lack of creativity, saying no to not being able to see the possibilities that might lie outside of what might be typically prescribed. Mm saying no to gatekeepers, as we were just discussing. Yes, or at least the traditional confine of gatekeeping, yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I would say is, for those who are listening, is to attend the live dance. And I love dance film and I love digital dance, but a lot of people haven't been in a theater before or haven't seen live dance or the dance that they have seen has been maybe the Nutcracker when they were young, which is great. Um, But there's something about being in a theater, watching dance happen in real time that I think is pretty unexplainable and is completely different than watching something pre-recorded. So I would highly recommend like going to a show and giving it a try, read the program and then kind of go in with an open mind too. And I like to compare dance to literature a lot of times Mm. when I'm talking to my students, there's several different purposes for dance just like literature, right? So I'm not going to go and read um, People magazine and try to expect to get something that I would get out of if I was reading Toni Morrison or Shakespeare or like literature. And the same thing if I was going to read the newspaper or there, there's all these different forms of writing for different purposes, just like dance. So Um, Me going to see a football game and the dancers are on the field is going to do something very different than seeing a ballet, which is going to do something very different than seeing site-specific dance, meaning like dance that's not happening in the theater. Maybe it's in the street. Maybe it's in a museum is going to do something very different than a music video, which is going to do something very different than dance film. So when you go to see these things, just try to, A, keep an open mind if you're not aware of all of these things. And instead of going straight to, I don't get it, especially if it's not a ballet that like lets you know exactly what's happening and when somebody's dying or it's, you're familiar, it's like Cinderella ballet form and you know the story. Right. What emotions do you feel? What is the quality of the movement of the bodies that are in space? Who's present in the space? Who's not present in the space? And then just take a look at the shapes. Hmm. Just like um, visual arts, there are uh, dance for dance sake artists who there is no storyline ever. Maybe you will perceive there is one, but maybe they are completely interested 
in spirals and everything about their dance has to do with spirals the costuming the movement the shapes that are being in the space and then there are dance activists where maybe their dance the purpose is to be very political Hmm. maybe it is a ballet where it is to tell this story that has the same ending every single time so Try to break with the perception that you might have of dance, especially if you're new to it, and just kind of go in with a blank slate and see what happens. That's great advice. I will try that myself. Yeah. You know, you mentioned comparing dance to literature, and that comparison popped into my mind earlier in our conversation when you were talking about narrative versus non-narrative. One of my big interests is is poetry, Mm -hmm. and people often have the same sort of uh, reaction to poetry like I, I don't I don't get it it feels mm-hmm. it gives me feelings but I don't understand it and they don't people might not realize that like those feelings are are the point like there's, there's nothing that you're missing just mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, I well, do think the visual artists have gotten it right like people know that you can go to a museum and look at a piece of art on a wall and not get it and just be like mm, okay and then keep going on mm-hmm. and not have too many complex feelings when it comes to like writing and dance, it's like, no, like this cannot be like, I am not okay with not having the answer, you know? <laughs> so I'm a little jealous of the, the visual artists who, I mean, they still have to do some work and I'm sure people have lots of feelings, but I think it's more commonplace to know like, all right, well, I don't, maybe I don't, <laughs> that one's not for me. And then you mm. can go on. It doesn't mean that you like hate visual art now, but some people with dance, it's just like, oh, I don't get it. I'm just done with this or like experimental dance can be very out there. So interesting. So is the difference, do you think the visual art people like, um, I mean, so the audience can quote unquote consume the visual art in an instant rather than taking it longer to read a piece or to watch a dance. Possibly. But that could also be seen as like a disadvantage of visual art because um, it begs for longer engagement, but people don't necessarily give it the time it needs to really um, take in what they're seeing. Um, that was a subject of one of the earlier mm-hmm. podcast episodes is um, slow viewing, which is a pro- uh, uh, an event that takes place in the coll- or in the um, art and design department. And mm-hmm. they pick a piece and look at it for 30 minutes um, and then discuss it as, as a group for 30 more minutes after that. I like that framework. They should really reach out to dance because I feel like dance can be a part of like the viewing of the art too, especially if the dancers are taking elements from the dance and putting it into movement. Absolutely. That could be interesting. On the topic too that you had mentioned about, you, you're just encouraging people to go see, go see a dance, um, go mm-hmm. to a theater. Do you have any recommended venues, um, whether on Missouri State campus or sort of in our, our fair city or region? Yeah, so MSU, we have Cougar Theater, um, Springfield Ballet. They put on the Nutcracker and several other performances throughout the year. I know Hammond's Performance Hall have all kinds of groups coming through. It might not be like dance specific, like the Lion King came through here. Like Mm -hmm. Springfield has like some good traffic happening. Maybe not, I would like to see more concert dance and full dance works being brought through but I think people just don't really know how to engage with that here quite yet we're Mm. working on it 
Um, I know the Galois Theater oh, yeah. brings in, I think they bring in a group from a Russian ballet or something for the Nutcracker, I think I've seen here as well. Those are the ones that come to mind. Um, I would definitely like to see more dance here. I try to bring a film festival here in 2020, but we all know what happened with 2020. So oh, yes. um, I'll give that another try maybe in a year or two. But yeah, there's there's opportunities here. Um, there's opportunities in Kansas City, in Oklahoma City, St. Louis, all of those being maybe three hours away if you really want to maybe catch a more mainstream performing arts group. Um, you might have to go to one of those more major cities to, to catch that. Um, but I spent, I lived in Texas for three years, so okay. I, I'm still willing to drive six hours um, to Dallas to see a lot of uh, people who are coming through because they have a all dance uh, lineup each year. Wonderful. And there's lots of dance online right now, um, particularly because of COVID. Um, so there's a lot of dance that's accessible. Oh, and also for all of um, MSU people right now, the library, I worked with our library liaison, uh, Susanna Reifling, and we have on the boards TV. So if you go to MSU and then you go to the library resources, when you search uh, database, um, the first one that's under O is on the boards. And they have several full evening length dance shows that you can watch that have been performed in Seattle, New York. Um, some of them are more local artists. And then we have some that are really world renowned, like Crystal Pye and Kyle Abraham, you can watch. I don't think Kyle's on there right now, but I know Crystal's is back on Bintrofen Height. That's when I saw in person. You can watch that online, the entire thing for free. Um, just log in with your Bear Pass. Okay, the entire dance production, and it's called On the Boards, accessible through the library resources. Yes, yeah, so the data, the database is on the boards TV, and then you can search by artists or you can search by film. Um, and they are recordings of um, productions that you would see, like if you went to the Joyce Theater in New York. Um, That's you such can a watch the resource. entire. It is real. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I need more people to watch it so that we can keep this yeah. um, particular database here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Our Coal Conversations. You can find No Box Dance at their website, noboxdance.com. Remember, that's K-N-O-W. They're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at No Box Dance. You can follow the college on Facebook at msu.rcole and on Twitter at msu underscore rcole. And if you have an idea for Our Coal Conversations, or if you want to get in touch with me for any reason, you can send me an email at jhoward at missourystate.edu. Thanks for listening.